You have reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Hey, Mitch! Hey, Mitch! Hey, Mitch! Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Hey, And on to note of Hey Mitch, I have on movie writer, director, producer Jason Woods. He has a Kickstarter project called Copley Road. It's a horror anthology, which I just want to say sounded awesome. Like when I first came across it, it made me think of like Creep Show, Tales from the Dark Side, you know, uh, heavy metal. Like I know there's a lot of horror anthologies out there right now, but that, that those, those are what I went to first. So. Uh, tell us about Copley Road. Yes. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. And I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. Um, I was raised on films like Creep Show, so it definitely have influenced influenced this project in, in many ways. But yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I'm Jason Woods, uh, writer, director, producer. Uh, Copley Road is a horror anthology um, that we're shooting in my hometown of Akron, Ohio. So this is like a, a dream project and, and a dream collaboration with um, various artists in the Northeast Ohio area. So we're really excited about this project, really proud of it. Um, and this, again, like Creepshow, um, in this case, five different short stories that are combined into one larger story. Uh, basically, the, the general premise, um, a group of strangers that encounter this um, confrontation between two paranormal entities. And now all their lives have been changed in some way because of this confrontation that they should have never seen. And it ultimately explores the theme of free will and choice versus predetermined outcomes or, or fate, if you will. Very cool. Like, is is it is there just a lot of horror in your 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 background? Like, do you do you love the the genre? Is is that why you wanted to make this movie? Yeah, I just, I'm glad you asked that question. So, um, I think it started when I was a a, a child. Um, I actually, just ordered a book that I uh, was my favorite, my first favorite book, uh, "Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark." So, I had this book when I was a child, and um, it really. Uh, opened up or unlocked this creative side in me. And I've always been fascinated with horror in some way. Um, when I was a child, something really weird about me, I used to uh, pray for nightmares when I, when I would go to sleep. And it was something about that that weird rush that I would feel. Um, it, it was just a nightmare. So I would wake up and I would know it's just a dream. But in that moment, just that energy and that excitement where the rules of reality had kind of been in, cer- in certain ways and created more space to 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 think through things. So it's always been a part of my life um, in some way growing up. And also creatively as a filmmaker, my first um, script that I wrote at the age of 15 was a was a horror script. And it's, uh, it's always been there. Um, horror and martial arts are kind of the two things that kind of merge together in some regard. Uh, I do more horror now, but eventually martial arts will be a part of that again. Are we going to see some martial arts in, in Copley Road? <laughs> uh, not in Copley Road, but uh, this is more like the, the beginning phase of building an audience. Then when they reintroduce martial arts down the road and some other form. So yeah, it definitely 
definitely will eventually see a martial arts horror film for me. I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, speaking of short films, you you previously did DUI. I saw that on your uh, Kickstarter page. What was that one about? Yes. Yeah, so DUI is a huge project for me. Um, so DUI is my first short film. I wrote and produced it. It was directed by Nicholas Kramer, a very talented uh, director. Uh, this short film actually premiered at Screamfest, which is the, the largest, longest running horror film festival in the country. So that was a huge um, opportunity for us and it really opened up a lot of doors. Um, with DUI, my goal, um, that's the first script that I kind of switched away from, or my first professional attempt at script writing where I switched away from martial arts and just went into the horror slash suspense realm. And so I wanted to create a story where um, the entire film my main characters wouldn't have access to something. And so I decided, what if you didn't have access to your hands? How would you do things that you would normally do in a horror film? You couldn't use your hands. And so I thought of an idea of what if my main characters are, are arrested by a, a psychopath police officer and the entire film you're trapped in the backseat of a police car. How would you do certain things? How would you escape? And so I, I know that I would have my wife um, tie my, my hands together and I would just sit in the house or sit in my car and just try to figure out how to do basic things. How would I figure out a way around certain challenges that I normally would be able to, to get out of if I had my hands. And so it really became this uh, sandbox, if you will, that spawned into this film. And uh, it was a really powerful story, great actors that really helped sell the story. And it, it really opened up a lot of doors for me creatively. That's That sounds great. Uh, is there is there some place we could watch that right now? Yes. Yeah, so DUI is currently available on YouTube. Uh, you can see it on our page, Stealthing Productions. Or it's also on the Screamfest uh, YouTube channel as well. Cool. So what was some of your inspiration for Copley Road? Sure. So born and raised on Copley Road, um, I've always had a connection to to the city of Akron and just that street in general. Um, when I left Ohio, this is 2003, I moved to L.A. because I didn't have the opportunities or I didn't see the opportunities as a filmmaker. So. I moved to Los Angeles to chase my dream, and I've always wanted to go back home and film there, and I never had the chance to do it until now. Um, while in L.A., I developed a lot of skills, met a lot of friends, and a lot of filmmakers who I've met along the way are actually from Ohio. Ohio. Wow. So, yeah, so it was kind of like a dream project, like, let's go back and finish the mission that I've always wanted to do. Um, and during that time period, just seeing where I lived in Ohio, just the changes of, you know, nearly 20 years of just seeing – um, you know, Akron, where I lived, was the rubber capital of the world at one point. You know, my dad worked for Firestone, and there was Goodrich, Goodyear, and all of those factories have moved moved out. And so now a lot of the jobs have disappeared, and you just see the city in certain ways, you know, changing and, and, and not a positive way. And in some ways, it still has its roots, but there's a lot of change there and a lot of opportunity that's gone away. And this is my way of trying to step back into that and, and use my platform to try to help create more energy and more opportunity for the people in that environment like me who are looking for a chance to dream in Akron. And you decided to go with the anthology theme because you just, you, you felt that was the best way to tell the story. So the anthology part that started off in a um, film festival that I attended in Miami. It's called um, widescreen film festival. And this is some of the, this is one of the best festivals I've ever been to. Um, just the way that they they handle the filmmakers and and the um, the audience, the way that they created this atmosphere where you really felt special. And I remember meeting so many different filmmakers from all over the world. 
and um, you know people from you know, Israel or uh, Germany or you know the Bahamas, and we we all became friends. And during this process, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be really cool if we all worked on a project together? Like I have limited resources, they have limited resources. What if we created created a group project that was filmed in different parts of the world, and we put it all together, connected by one core premise, and we packaged it together as one film? Imagine the production value of being able to shoot all over the world without having this Warner Brothers budget. And so that was my huge idea. And um, that's still my idea, but I haven't been able to put it together. So I thought, what if I did the same thing on a smaller scale in the city of Akron, where I'm from? And so then my goal had changed to what if I could find different writers and directors and artists in that area and do the same thing? Um, unfortunately, I wrote this entire project myself, so I'm still looking to do that. Moving forward, I'm still trying to do an anthology where I actually can pull just so many creative people and have you know things shot in very different ways. Uh, I think from a premise standpoint, we wanted to explore different types of horror. So you may see like a slasher uh, story for one of the shorts, and then the more psychological for another short. So it's really being able to tell different stories and, and explore different parts of, of the horror genre um, within this film. On your Kickstarter page, uh, there's a you have a video on the front page, and, and it, the beginning part of it is you explaining the project, but you also have somewhat of a teaser of the movie. Is that one of the stories, or is that like a beginning bookend shot, or what, what are we looking at there? Sure. So the teaser is called The Last Stop, and that teases one of our concepts. Uh, it's a concept trailer for one of our short stories. Within okay. The uh, this story is about a, a girl who witnesses this confrontation that I mentioned earlier, and she falls asleep on the bus and wakes up in the middle of nowhere, um, stranded with this crazy bus driver who resembles one of the, the people in that confrontation. And so um, it's basically a, a really bizarre story. And you know, in the teaser, we, we don't really reveal anything. We don't really um, go too far into the story, but it just gives you an idea of what to expect. But we definitely will take that and, and really do some ambitious things with it in the uh, final film. Now, uh, you're looking for backers, and your end goal is? Yeah, so our goal for the Kickstarter campaign is uh, $10,000, which is covering some of our production costs. Uh, we're looking to, to bring in a um, consultant for special effects to really try to amplify our project. Our goal is to really make this project uh, not feel so much like an independent project, but to be competitive against you know, studio-quality projects and be respectable in the industry. So. And the end date on that? Oh, yeah. So April 28th is the last day of the campaign. Now, I also noticed that it said uh, you're looking for, you know, use the money towards pre-production uh, costs and, and uh, uh, legal uh, representation. Like for those who don't know, what what kind of costs go into uh, pre-production? Like what is it that you need to do other than a, a special effects consultant? Sure. So there's a lot of things such as uh, preparing contracts to protect ourselves and our interests as we deal with investors, um, setting up different licenses to use certain um, locations and and um, landmarks in, in the city of Akron. There's a lot of travel back and forth between the two and trying to set up different um, relationships and partnerships to get them off the ground. So for those of you that don't know, um, this project, we started about a, a, a year ago, and we're doing a lot of this work um, on our own uh, right when COVID hit. And COVID had really... Um, derailed a lot of, of our efforts at that point. Um, there's several different phases of, of how that happened. You know, the first phase, a lot of the places that we were dealing with 
some of those places closed down completely and others they kind of went to this this limbo where you know they're no longer able to support the project or no longer able to um to commit to when they would be available to, to support the project then you have uh, you know people on your team that are being furloughed and they're being they're dropping off of the project or they need to disappear for a while to situate their their home lives then you have people who are investors who are backing the project and then they enter into this place of uncertainty where now they're saying well i don't really know if right now is a good time to to um, back the project at that level. And um, so maybe I need to take a step away and then we can revisit this later. And then the final stage is just um, entering into a new world of filming. And I know that hopefully we're getting to a place where we're at the tail end of COVID-19, but the reality is it's really changed the way you film things. And now on your budget, COVID-19 is a part of your budget now. It's actually a rather, rather large part of your budget uh, when you're trying to keep people safe. Uh, when you're doing auditions, how do you do auditions now where you don't have massive crowds there? How do you, um, to you have it's what they call zones where you can keep people segregated to where there's never too many people on the set at the same time. You know, it's funny, um, the the teaser trailer, we shot that here in Los Angeles. And, and even with that, we kind of got a taste of it. It was our goal of trying to keep everyone off the set and just keeping it to where there's two actors that never touch each other. They're both shot independent of each other and away from each other the entire time and skeleton crew and just there's a lot of things that go in the place of trying to sanitize and keep the set as safe as possible and all those are just new things that you have to factor and protection that comes with along with that as far as a legal setting of trying to cover yourselves in that process I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh i mean one yes obviously keeping everybody safe in this certain time and and COVID being such a uh, what it was and and shutting down everything, like I would imagine trying to do pre production, uh, getting getting in contact with people, just all that becomes exponentially more difficult. Um, how how did that affect having to one travel to Akron to talk to people or even getting a hold of. Uh, I would assume businesses and government officials over there over the phone. Like, is it, it just made it that much worse? Yes. A, a lot of them just basically just disappeared in the middle of, of the night. Like they, it was, we're having conversations and they're really excited about the project because it's taking place in their hometown and this is going to be huge for the city. And then one day you call them and they're telling you we're shutting down and we have no idea when it's going to end. So we don't, we don't really know if we'll be able to support you at all. This year, our goal was to film summer of last year, and then it was just kind of like like wave after wave after wave of these type of challenges to where at some point it just was a no longer a good a good investment or a good risk to film during that time period. And then the bigger question that um, that we had to face was, you know, we're not we're not paramount. You know, we don't have an infinite budget. So what happens, Jason, Mr. Director? What happens to you if if you get sick during the set of the film or your actors get sick or your other producers get sick. Can you survive shutting down your entire production for two weeks or a month or two months? And what if it keeps happening? How are you able to, to withstand that from a budgetary standpoint? And again, if you're not a major studio, you really can't. And so you really have to rethink everything as to how you're going to approach this to, to try to mitigate this risk. And if it does happen, what are your plans, your contingency plans to, to survive it? And so it really changes the way we bring ourselves into the film and it does definitely impact your budget. And a lot of things that we did in pre-production last year, a lot of that is basically, I don't want to say a waste. It wasn't really a waste, but a lot of that um, we were starting over in some, in some ways. 
for that teaser trailer, the teaser trailer that you you shot, like how do you go about getting a bus as a a scene as a set? Like, is that was that a built set or is that like a actual bus that you had to go and rent from something? Yes, that's an actual bus. Uh, I remember um, when I first wrote the script, I, I um, or when I first shared the short with my production team, when they read it, their first thought was, where in the world are we going to find the bus? And their immediate reaction was, well, let's write this out of the story. Let's change it. Maybe you can put an Uber car there instead. And this is not really my style. As, a, as an artist, I, I write what I want, and then I figure out how to make it happen. And so for the first year, that was a big challenge. Like, how are we going to find a bus where we can actually film this this scene? And, um, you know, we've called a lot of the major um bus lines in the area and all of them you know they don't rent buses because from a horror film it's probably not the best image that they want to portray in the buses. and so ultimately um it was actually a lot easier than i thought it was i just eventually after a long period of searching i just stumbled upon craigslist and i found um like a, a bus rental yard that had several like dozens and dozens of buses from every decade and the prices to to purchase the bus was very cheap, actually. I, I, the bus that we filmed this film, film in, um, we could have purchased the bus for $6,000. So it, it really wasn't that expensive. It really wasn't as hard as it appeared. So just kind of just being creative and figuring out ways of getting it. There's so many thousands, tens of thousands of buses in this country that are no longer activated, just right. figuring out how to get to them. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes sense, uh, especially in a city like Hollywood or L.A. I would assume that they lots of people are in that type of industry and need to get certain props. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, so yeah, I thought I found that this, that, that scene uh, great. Like, I, I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to share that to, to show people what it is that you're trying to do, because it, it definitely helped intrigue me. Thank you. <laughs> when you were writing it, like how long did it take you from the conception of the idea to the point that we're at now? Yeah, I would say it probably took me, um, I would say six months to maybe about a year actually of, um, of just like the writing portion of it. Because again, when I first wrote this script, it was written out of order. This was like my first attempt at, at what they call like a, a smart story where it's not just a A to Z story but it's told deliberately in a way where uh, it's almost like a twilight zone type of effect where you're watching one short film and I'm really explaining something and another short, you don't even know it yet. Or there's things planted all throughout the story that you have to be paying attention to other parts of the story to get it. And if you watch it more than once, you'll get a different understanding. And it's very interpretive too, where um, let's say you and I watch it together. We both ideally both would leave of two different ideas of what actually happened in the story. And so there was a lot of um, effort that went into trying to write something that was that was bigger than what I normally would write. Normally, it's just a, the standard beginning, middle, end. And here, just, there's a lot of space in between where I really tried to amplify the story. So um, that process was a long process. And then from there, um, trying to, to get into the realm of, of making the reality and getting in people that, that are powerful enough to help push this into reality and, and to make this happen in Akron. Um, that's been going on from uh, the end of 2019 until now, that process. And we've had people that have, that have joined us along the way. And the response to this film has really helped carry us and make things a lot um, faster than, than I imagined it would be. I remember when I first um, created my Facebook page 
for this movie. It was just a placeholder. I wasn't expecting anyone to actually look at it or notice, maybe my mom or someone. But um, the day we launched this page, I went to dinner with my wife and my phone buzzed and I saw that someone had shared the page and I went, oh, wow, that's interesting. And then a minute later, my phone buzzes again. Someone else shared it. And then again and again and again. And then before you know it, within an hour, my phone's just nonstop buzzing <laughs> thousands of times, like within one day. And then a day later, it's like on the front page of the news. So um, it's just incredible, the momentum. And through that, that's really um, opened up doors. And a lot of people have found the project just through that energy. And they've offered um, to help in so many creative ways. So it's really incredible. So since the story takes place in Akron, are there some Akron-specific uh, landmarks that we can expect to see in, in the movie? Yeah, so we haven't revealed them yet. Uh, we have a number of places um, along Akron and, and Cleveland as well that, we, um, that we're that we working to, to put into the film. So have to finalize some of those. So that's part of the, the same thing with the um, the legal costs involved in our, in our Kickstarter campaign, try to be able to secure some of those places as well. But we definitely want this film to... Um, to celebrate the culture of Northeast Ohio. So landmarks is a big thing. Um, product placement is a huge thing as well. And also um, just our goal of trying to bring in, you know, music artists and actors and talent, um, mostly from Ohio. I mean, there's a, there's two parts to this. There's pulling people from local the local area, as well as bringing in resources um, from Los Angeles that I've, that I've gathered to try to train this, these people and create a platform that we can continue to make more films in this area. So yeah, it's definitely a, a celebration of that entire area um, beyond landmarks, but just trying to make it feel that way. Even with um, bringing in clothing um, designers from that area, if you notice in the Kickstarter, there's a clothing, there's a t-shirt and a hat that we're selling. It's actually from uh, Seven Floor Clothing, a very popular clothing brand uh, from Akron, Ohio. Yeah, that, I, I did. And I wanted to ask you about that. What are, what are some of the rewards that you are offering on the Kickstarter? Sure. Uh, so we have a lot of things. We have um, a paranormal ghost hunting adventure that we've been playing. This one's going to be really exciting. Uh, myself, I'll be joining uh, everyone that that you know, purchases this incentive, and we're going to go on ghost hunting in Akron, Ohio, or in the Akron area in Ohio. We have a number of places that we're still considering. Um, right now, the um, that's a really popular one. Our shot glasses are really popular as well. We have collectible shot glasses for the film. Uh, they're they're a very cool design, horror design, frosted glass on them. We have hats, we have t-shirts, we have posters, posters signed by myself. Um, you can do script notes from the director myself. Um, there's even um, other incentives as far as watch parties where, where I'll team up with whoever purchases that incentive and we'll watch a film together and just have a great experience together. Uh, we can do a horror, um, horror-based photography. So we have a very talented photographer in um, Akron and I'll go and direct a photo shoot for you uh, where you'll be the star in a, in a horror sense. We even have an incentive where we can put your face into the um, poster of the movie. So there's a lot of really cool, amazing, um, unique things uh, for that area and for anyone not in the area that, that appreciates the film. Yeah. I, I, a few that I thought were very unique. Um, one was uh, one that's already gone is the, the clapper, the, or, is it called the clapper a move uh, the the yeah, film clapper slateboard yeah there you go that's that's better um I, I was like that's that's so unique like obviously something that's very specific to that movie and you wouldn't see normally but uh why not why not give that uh off to the someone that that backed the movie um 
two others were uh, the 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 Zoom meeting with the producers, you know, to get uh, advice or whatever uh, mm-hmm. you would like for producing a movie or producing something like. It's also very unique, and I, I really enjoyed that. Like, that's probably something that other people that would want to make a movie would would really benefit from. Uh, Absolutely. How, how did that come up? Yes. Yeah, so, so I have two different producers on the project, uh, Megan Fillmore and Donald McKinney. And this is actually, these are really popular incentives because they both have very different backgrounds in the industry and they both have very different approaches to filmmaking. So uh, Megan Fillmore, uh, she's she's working on a lot of studio projects right now. I'm, she's you know, produced for NFL and several um, like higher level um, studios. So um, she is you can basically purchase the incentive where you can meet with her and she'll give you advice on how to, to build funding for your project. And that's something that people that are in my position is invaluable because everyone has an idea, but how do I actually get the power to, to get this film made? It's huge. And then Donald McKinney, he's another one. Um, he's more of a um, guerrilla style, independent, no budget, we'll figure out how to make this work. And so a lot of my early films uh, like DUI, for example, or just another film called The Bowels that, that hasn't been released yet. It's it's the trailer's released, but not the actual film. Uh, I work with Donald McKinney on that film, and he's the person that if you don't have a lot of money or a lot of resources, he will show you how you can still get your film done just by being creative and doing whatever it takes to get it done. And so both of those are two very powerful lessons, very different lessons, but depending on what your goals are in industry, I definitely would recommend either one of those incentives. It's huge. Are you are you also editing the movie yourself? No, no, no. Uh, we'll, we'll be hiring an editor. <laughs> okay, I was just because you know you always hear about the how how many different movies there are in the one movie. So you, there's a different movie when you're writing it, writing it, different movie when you're directing it, and different movie when you're editing it. Like to you as as the creator, like where's the the true form for you? Yeah, so I've always been. Um, heavily involved in, in all areas of the project. So for example, um, we had a, a, a director for, for DUI. I wasn't, I wasn't the director, but I was heavily involved in, in that process and trying to secure, um, you know, my vision, you know, the director's vision within a greater vision, which was my vision. Uh, same thing with the editor, you know, they, they do, I, I try to give them freedom to do what they have to do. And at the same time, I still try to make sure that the vision is still there. Uh, so I think the big part of it is first and foremost is trying to bring in a team of people that, um, that understand what your vision is and, and appreciate your vision. And then also uh, a practice for myself is being, being flexible and understanding that, you know, sometimes they may have an idea that can take this project to a whole nother level and being open-minded to that. So it's, it's always that wrestling um, if you will, of, of um, collaborating and at the same time being around to make sure that your vision is still somehow conveyed in, on the screen. And a lot of times um, what I learned is that when you are open-minded, you'll see something that you had no idea that you never even thought of. Like, for example, in the film DUI, um, when we did auditions, the main role was this this angry you know cop, his, you know, his wife, um, you know, cheated on him with, with his partner and now he's having a meltdown. And then during the audition, there are so many different people from all walks of life, uh, you know, men, women who auditioned for this role. And I never, when I wrote it and, and never, I never even thought about the idea of what if the officer was a, was a female cop, how would that change things? And so I really got to see different versions of the character 
And I was no longer set on this is this is my version, but I was more open to letting it play out. And then when you watch it, you would kind of see what it would kind of reveal itself to you. And then even as a writer, that's what happens as well. Sometimes I have an idea of what I want to write, but then when I start to write, the characters kind of reveal themselves and the story kind of writes itself in some some regards. When you were writing DUI or when you're writing uh, Copley Road or anything, like do you tend to write in a linear fashion beginning to end or do you do you jump around do you i mean obviously rewrites you go back and you rewrite something or, or revise something but in the initial how do you how do you sit down and write it sure so usually um i i would write in a linear fashion copy wrote the first film where I, where I didn't do that um the first short i wrote was the last short of the film and at that point i had no idea what some of the other shorts would be about and so um, my goal with Copy Road was to write five short, short stories that could stand alone as their own film and then figure out like a bridge story to kind of glue them together where, where it all would make sense. Um, and the reason why I wrote it that way was I was um, preparing for the idea of what if you know, no one gets it? What if no one supports the project? Would I be able to, to proceed as short films? And it will take a, long, a much longer period of time but I would just shoot five short films on my own and then combine them together through this strategy. So um, this is the first time I wrote it that way. And um, it took through that, throughout that process, I learned a lot. So let's say if, if I wrote one short film in the beginning, by the time I came back to that short film, there were so many things that changed that I would have to rewrite that short film again to fit the new reality of the project. And uh, is, is this your first uh, project through Kickstarter? Yes. The first time. Yes. How's, how's that process been for you? How, how's that, how did you find that? Sure. So this was a really scary process for me. Um, Kickstarter was one of the, one of the areas where as a filmmaker, I've always uh, feared. There's a lot of areas that I feared as a, as a artist. I, I just wanted to create stories. I never wanted to, to understand the business side of filmmaking. I never wanted to, to be a producer. Never wanted to go into pitch meetings. Never wanted to do crowdfunding. All of those things were like really scary things for me. And I realized that the path that was necessary was the, the same path that I've always feared. And um, through that process, it really wasn't about fear. It was about preparing yourself to, to understand it better and how to, to thrive within that, within that space. And what I learned with Kickstarter is that it's, there's a way of creating value for people and it's a way of connecting people. It's not just saying, hey, I need, can someone please help us fund this project? But there's ways of connecting people and creating experiences for people that, that they normally wouldn't have. And and just being able to do that and see it play out, it's really changed my perception about Kickstarter and crowdfunding as a whole. Um, just the people that have reached out to me independently and just sharing how this film impacts them and how, you know, owning a poster for the film in their in their hometown, how cool that is, or um, and just sharing their stories with me has really opened me up to a whole new level. And that's been really great. And also our Kickstarter campaign, um, just having a, a really powerful team of people that are with me in this process and we're working together. We were really um, fortunate. We actually received the um, Kickstarter badge of films that they that they love or projects that they love. And so that was really amazing to see that happen. It was our first time using Kickstarter. Did Was there a reason you picked Kickstarter over the other crowdfunding uh, platforms? Um, so yeah, so we looked at Indiegogo, Kickstarter, Seed and Spark. Um, the people on my team, we've had, they've had the most experience with Kickstarter, so I felt that that was familiar ground to someone on my team. So we chose that one first. Uh, you know, with Kickstarter, there's that 
you know, all or nothing mentality where if you don't reach your goal, then you don't, you know, the project doesn't succeed, or at least the Kickstarter campaign won't succeed. So there's definitely a lot of risk involved in that. But, um, you know, we've never been afraid of that risk. Uh, so it's just been really exciting to go there. It's the most popular platform, and it's easier to explain to people what it is through Kickstarter than something like a Seed and Spark. Right. Okay. Uh, what is your process when you're sitting down to write? Since uh, this was, especially since this was a new uh, way for you to do it, where you started at the end and kind of worked back and, and wrote the other stories, like, do you need a completely silent room? Do you need white TV white noise in the background? Do you need music on? Sure. Yeah. So I I usually find um, music like on like SoundCloud or whatever. I'll I'll try to prepare like a soundtrack of um, of songs that kind of capture the basic idea of what of what I want to com- communicate through the story. And then when I listen to the music, it sometimes helps um, influence me to, to become a, a character or um, to, to find the emotion of a story. A lot of the stories that I wrote and Copley wrote are um, very loosely inspired by um, chapters of my life as well. And so in certain regards, it was easier to, to just like reconcile or decompress whatever um, I was going through but the music usually helps pull it out, pull it out very well. So yeah, just me quiet in the Starbucks somewhere with my headphones on or in my office. And then you definitely have a, a, a soundtrack now for how the, the movie's supposed to go. Uh, <laughs> when, when you're switching over to directing and do you, do you have to keep that same kind of process? Are you going to keep those songs in mind? Are you going to, uh, is, are you going to be, are you a different, different person completely when you're, when you're directing from when you're writing? Yes. So, uh, the biggest difference is that when you're when you're writing, you're you're alone, so you're, mm-hmm. it's just you, and it's whatever you imagine is what it is. But when you're directing, there's a lot of um, like realities that come into your project that that you don't think about when you write. Uh, so now it's like you have to change how you do certain things to to make it seem more realistic or to make something practical to where it actually can get done. And so that requires. Uh, requires you as a director to be more open and more um, in tune with the team members around you. So it's not just me alone. I'm now talking to a to a DP or you know our sound or audio or an actor and trying to pull that same emotion that that I have, um, pull it out of them. And so what I do is I create a a lookbook, which is basically I describe in great detail um, the vision of every single scene, every character, their wardrobe. The sound effects, where I just basically have this massive book where everything is there, and I share it with with my teammates, and so they have an idea of of what I was thinking of, and then from there they have the space to create, but they have the general idea, general concept of what I'm trying to accomplish. And uh, how long has it been? Like, uh, not how long, but when did you realize that you first wanted to to make movies? Sure, uh, my first. I would say since I was around 15 years old, I um, stumbled across a, a VHS recorder and I thought to myself, would it be cool to make a movie? Back then I worked in uh, Dairy Queen at, at the mall and I grabbed a couple of coworkers and we began shooting a horror film called Scream at Dairy Queen. <laughs> and um, mall security, they shut us down the first day of production. <laughs> it's like The first scene was so epic. It was so much fun. And it really, um, it really just stuck with me. Like, wow, this was so cool. Look at what we created together. 
And I've always wanted to get back to that. And that was what started me on the journey of becoming a filmmaker. Originally, I was just wanted to be a writer and not a filmmaker. But um, that concept of trying to maintain some sort of connection to my vision required more than just being a writer. Because when you're a writer, you sell your script. And then when it comes out, something totally different. So how can I still be present in that process? And after after your your uh, shutdown at Dairy Queen, like what what did what path did you take to to start getting towards that goal? Sure. So after that, it, um, I started going back into writing from that point, and I learned how to become a, a stronger writer. And then once I reached a certain point, I felt I was strong enough to to sell the script to Hollywood. So I began using um, back then there were. Uh, like e-blast services where they'll blast your um, log line to hundreds of thousands of producers. And most of them probably don't, are not even the same genre. They probably don't want it. It's just like spam mail. And so you're sending scripts out to all these people. And one day um, a producer actually replied to me in an email and he, he wanted to have a call with me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm like 18 and I'm like, wow, this is about to happen. They're going to love my script. I had a, a script about a video game um, a video game where the characters realized that they were being used or they were being played by by consumers where they were dying for our entertainment and they wanted to, to do something about it. So the producer liked the idea and it got me on the phone and we talked for about an hour and during that conversation he was asking me all these questions where he was really baiting me into saying that that I'm a beginner, that this is just a hobby, that it's not real for me. And at one point he had said, um, if you're serious about this, then, then why are you living in Akron, Ohio, why aren't you in Hollywood where all the films are being made? What do you, you know, this isn't real for you. And so that conversation that really zapped me because back then um, you didn't have smartphones where you could film it yourself or it wasn't easy to get a, to get a camera. So it was either you're, you're in the industry or you're not in the industry. And so uh, at one point I decided, you know, he's right. I'm going to, I'm going to move to Los Angeles and, and prove this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. And so I packed everything I had into my Jeep. I quit my job. Everyone in my hometown thought I was crazy. <laughs> and I moved to the country. Um, I saved $3,000. And um, driving across the country, my car broke down in New Mexico. Oh, no. Uh, 20, yeah, 2500 gone to fix my transmission. So I get to California, $500 in my name, uh, no apartment, no job, no friends, no family, um, you know, no credit history, no rental history. So it was just basically whatever happens, happens. So I get out here and I'm living out of my vehicle on the streets and struggling, trying to survive. And um, at one point I had, you know, I, I had lost about 40 pounds. Everyone thought, everyone in my family thought that I was on some sort of drug or dying of some, of some sort of disease. It was just a, a thing of me trying to figure it out and just struggling and trying to survive. And it became more about just surviving than being a filmmaker uh, during that process. And I remember at one point um, I had this Hail Mary play or plan where if I could find that same producer who I spoke to over the phone, I could show him, look, I'm here. I did it. And then he would take another look at my project. So I found him. He was, an, he was a creative executive for a major studio and they were doing a premiere at um, one of the theaters in Hollywood. I couldn't get into the theater, but I was able to find him and I was able to corner him in the, in the bathroom with my script. I said, hey, it's me. It's Jason Woods. Do you remember me? And he's like, who, who are you? I'm, I'm the guy that you talked to you know, from Akron, Ohio. I'm, I'm here. I did it. Here's my script. I did it. Can you read the script again? And let's let's make this work. And he's like, wow. 
yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And so he takes my script. I leave the bathroom and then I go around the corner and I just wait, you know, thinking like, this is it. It, it worked. He's finally going to see that I did it. And then he, he leaves the bathroom and his hands are empty. And I'm oh. thinking to myself, uh-oh, what's going on? I go back to the bathroom and I find my script in the trash. And so like that was like a really um, huge moment for me, really kind of put into perspective that um, it wasn't going to work that way, that there, I had to figure out something because like, trying to be discovered by Hollywood and, and the, the dream, the way that you see it as a small town person, that's real. For most of us, that's not the way it works. Did So in today's time with the, you know, invention of zoom meetings and and you know not the invention of email but just you know the more common use of email smartphones all that stuff do you still feel that someone needs to move to hollywood to break in no no i think the world is a much better place and that's part of the reason why why copyright is really important to me um there's been a lot of technology advancements things like for example craigslist for example you can find just about anything and there's several um, cinematographers all over the country and um, getting cameras. You can buy a camera for a couple thousand dollars. You don't need to. You don't need to to be a major studio to do that. Um, to find, you know, production houses. They're all over the country now because of the technology. And so now it's more like if you have a, a will, there's a way. And, and I've even seen, um, like, a lot of my favorite. Or I was my favorite, but a lot of films that that are influencing me now are a lot of the films that are shot with no money. Like there's a film called. The Battery um, by Jeremy Gardner. It's like a it's a horror film uh, shot for six thousand dollars, where it's just a you know a guy and his friends, and they just tell a great story and just go out in the woods and film it. And it actually feels when you watch it, it actually feels like a legit film. And so there's ways around it. The creativity and technology has changed the game for a lot of independent filmmakers. And yeah, I mean, obviously, Atlanta is a huge place to film or film anything now. I imagine that's the same way, or not the exact same way, but there's, you can do that in just about any major city, uh, so to speak. And you got you got filmmakers that are making movies with iPhones now, like uh, exactly. Steven Soderbergh, you know, kind of thing. Um, bringing up movies, like what what is it? What what are the type of movies that you love to you love to watch? What 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 do you watch on your spare time? Sure. That's a good question. Um, so I like films. Some of my favorite films, for example, I love um, Stephen King's It. That um, This is like the 90s version of it. Um, I like the new version too. But the 90s version of it was so influential for me as a, as a um, storyteller. It's very similar to Copley Road in the sense that if you know the story, there's, it's basically seven characters and they all kind of have their own story. And it's all combined by this clown and as a kid, this was like the scariest film ever for me. And I would watch this film and I would just be terrified. And then when I grew up, it became the funniest film ever. <laughs> I see it differently now. And, and now I'm at this ultimate level where it's like this philosophical film. So when I watch it now, I don't even see the clown as, as the villain anymore. And so um, it's such an interesting like, film that I study. But I like that film. I love um, Training Days, another film that I love to watch over and over again. Um, Enter the Dragon, Bruce Lee. I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan. Um, and I, I love watching a lot of martial arts films, um, a lot of like Tony Jaa type of films. films oh, I like love that. Tony Jaa. Yeah, he's amazing. So <laughs> um, those type of things. I, I like. I love action. I love films where there's things that you can't see every single day. Like if it's a film where people are sitting around holding hands and like talking and whispering to each other, like 
I want to see something that that's so crazy and so wild that you can't walk down the street and see it. What 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 is it in the last couple of years that you you've watched that you've enjoyed? More recently, um, you know, I, I liked I liked the Wonder Woman film that just came out. Uh, that one was pretty good. Um, re- more recent films, I I don't I don't say I don't like the more recent films, but I'm more about more into like a time period of films for me. Okay. For example, like um, the '80s and '90s are kind of my my go-to. I do watch modern films now, but they don't really have the same impact to me. I don't know if it's because I'm older or they just make them differently, but it's hard to, to feel the same with a lot of films. Um, I do watch some on Netflix. There's a, a TV show. Um, Black Summer was a pretty, pretty mm-hmm. big one for me. Um, and right now, I think the, the biggest thing I'm, that I watch right now, which I guess ties back into my old roots, um, Cobra Kai. Is <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, like you, like you did with it, like going back and rewatching that. Have you gone back and rewatched a lot of other films that you that have hit you in a different way now? Um, yeah. So, I definitely watch films um, that I used to watch as a child, and they and they change for me. Um, films like Back to the Future is another one that um, there's actually like documentaries on on that film and seeing it then versus now because it, it was talking about modern talking about our time now but back then and seeing like what's real and what is real from that what was predicted what wasn't predicted so back to the future is a huge one that i study looking at just the creativity of the filmmaking how they envisioned the future versus living in that future now what's uh going going forward like what is it that you want people to take away from copley road sure so for Copley Road, I really want people to connect to the the bigger message in the film. So the bigger message, which is explored, and again, it's an interpretive film, so you may leave with a different understanding of the message. But ultimately, it's it's questioning who really has the power to address the problems in our lives and in our communities and in our, in our world. So if you see what's happening in our world today, um, what role do you have in that? What role does the community have? What role does the president or whoever, who is the person that, who is really in charge of those problems and and what role do we have or what power do we have in, in shaping that? Okay. So uh, once again, the the Kickstarter is in date, deadline is, is April 28th and you, you got a, a, a goal of $10,000 to hit. What is it that you love to geek out about that maybe people wouldn't expect? Sure. So, yeah, I'm definitely, as I said earlier, uh, 80s, 90s type of guy. I was born and raised on on video games. And and beyond that, um, 70s kung fu films or kung fu flicks are, are my go-to. So anything from the 70s kung fu-wise or video games, 80s, 90s are usually my go-to. 80s and 90s video games. I love to hear about this. What, what's your what was your go to video game? Sure. So when I was a, a child, um, I used to love Double Dragon. That was like my my <laughs> my main game. Double Dragon, um, Castlevania, Galaga. Uh, if I can go back and just get a, a video game system that has all of the old classic games, um, I would, would play forever. Um, I used to go to the arcades with my brothers and we would play Street Fighter. Um, you know, Mortal Kombat, like the older versions of that. Um, Pit Fighter, a lot of fighting games. <laughs> I'm not sure why. I'm not a very violent person, but I love fighting games. 
I mean, that makes complete sense to me. That's I'm, the, I'm kind of the same way. So if 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 with all the way you know the ways that Hollywood is readapting things, remaking things, adapting uh, properties, like is there a video game that you would love to adapt into a movie? Oh yeah, I would love 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 to make to remake classic video games like like Bad Dudes or Double Dragons. <laughs> I would love to make like a modern day film. I I feel like and I could be wrong, but I feel like. Um, People aren't paying attention to those games, so hopefully it should be easier to be able to to get a license to do to do that. Um, but yeah, Tekken, Street Fighter, and I know they they already have movies for Tekken and Street Fighter, but I would love to redo them. And I would also love to take films that um, that aren't horror films and make them horror films. For example, I mentioned Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. Imagine if that was a horror movie, how different that would be. So oh, things like would, that. Yeah, definitely be a lot different. And and there was a. a not so well received double dragon movie uh to oh, at one yeah. point so <laughs> yes i remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm sure if we readapt that one you you do it well i can't i can't wait yeah. to see it uh, <laughs> yes there's a, a mario brothers movie too right that was yep similar. yep <laughs> i don't think anybody really talks about that one anymore <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um so we're getting to the point where I get to ask the, the question that uh, I love to ask everybody. If you could have one useless superpower and mm. it has to be completely useless, what would that <laughs> power be? Oh, wow. Wow. That's, there's so many things, useless things that I, that I do already. <laughs> I think um, maybe involving like my, my gaming ability, if I could somehow like have multiple like, versions of me to, to play against myself. I think that would probably be really cool. I think we have some great times. Some of the games that we played um, as a child, a lot of the times when me and my brothers would play with G.I. Joes or video games, we wouldn't actually honor the actual characters that were there. We would kind of make our own storylines up out of that. And I think that kind of helped inspire me as a, as a writer. But I, I think it would be pretty cool if I could like have multiple people with me and, and collaborate or multiple versions of myself. I think we would have some really interesting things. I would learn a lot about. I love that you could make multiple versions of yourself, but only to either help write or play video games. versions of myself. But th- here's the last thing I actually want to ask: If you could, if what, what's the one piece of advice that you've been given, or what's one piece of advice that you would give to someone? Uh, trying to make it in as a movie maker as a filmmaker got you yeah that's a, a great question um so since copley road has become um like popular at least in that in in the ohio area I've had a, a lot of people reach out to me with their dreams and they would say you know i've always wanted to be an actor and now this film is coming out this is my chance and you know and so like i i really want people to to know that you know they have the power to to get there on their own like they don't need anyone to discover them they can just do it it's just a matter of going off and chasing your dreams and um not getting to a place where you're looking back in your life and and regretting saying what if i would have tried what if i would have actually did this if i would have if i would have moved to la what if i would have um you know raised the money to make my own movie what if i would have written that script and now all that's left is just a sea of regrets just chase what you really want in this life and also beyond that, um, never, never forgetting the journey. Like it's easy to, I have people that say to me sometimes like, um, 
imagine what it'll be like when you when you make it or when you live your dream. And and the truth is, I'm already living my dream right now. You know, it's not about once the film is done, now you're going to live your dream. No, this is the process of living your dream right now. Imagine if you saw a, a, your favorite movie and you start the movie at the very ending of the film and that's all you watch. You wouldn't appreciate it because you don't see the journey of getting there. And so live your dream, but also be present in the moment of where you're at right now. Very cool. All right. Thank you. Thank you once again for coming on the show and talking uh, about your movie and your process. Um, I, I can't wait to watch it. And I also can't wait till you, when you get to remake scream at Dairy queen, uh, <laughs> I think that's going to be amazing too. Yes. Thanks for having me, Mitch. I really appreciate it. Oh, you know what I, I did want to ask is, is how'd you come up with the name for the production company? Stealth wing. I appreciate that. Yeah. So stealth wing productions, um, it's basically two principles that, that I've always followed. So the stealth part is just being someone that you're an underdog. No one's really looking for you. Like you're stealth in the sense that no one is really paying attention to what you're doing until it's there. Um, with, with DUI, it was that way where when people saw DUI, they're like, wow, this should be a real movie. You should be a real you know, producer or a real director or whatever. Um, and the reality, the reality is we were doing this for years. It just didn't notice it. And so, um, the stealth part is just putting your head down and working when people are not paying attention. And then when they see you're there, you're doing big things. And then the wing part is just flying above any, anything that's holding you down, whatever, whether it's the negativity of people around you or the situation around you, or whether it's the limitations of your resources, just figuring out a way to overcome and fly above those things, put those together and you get stealth wing uh, production. I love it. That's a great message. Uh, did you want to give out any social media in the kick in the Kickstarter campaign? Yes, uh, follow us. So Copley Road Movie, uh, that's our handle on Instagram, Facebook, and our Kickstarter. So um, check us out. I, I do some lives in our on our Facebook page and our Instagram as well. Uh, we have a lot of new information coming out pretty soon. Um, some more concept art for the film. So you definitely want to see that. So stay tuned, guys. Once again, it's April 28th is the is the deadline. We're trying to get get you there so that you can uh, you can make this movie. Um, Thank you so much. If you want to get a hold of me, uh, I am at Mitchipedia GEM. GEM stands for Geek Elite Media on Twitter and Instagram. The rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network on our website, geekleetmedia.com. And whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, please rate and review us so it helps spread the word of our network. But until next time, this is Hey Mitch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.